Mitch Petrie, you're uh, on your way to New Mexico for a, an elk hunt? I am, and I saw you post from Kansas City yesterday, sent you a text and said, what are you doing? I mean, I knew what you were doing because I saw all the, all the posts, but I was like, uh, I've heard of the American Royal before, but never in my life thought I would be here, and about 12 hours after I texted you, here I am. So you're on your way through Kansas City from Minneapolis. You're going to stay the night at another producer, Tom McMillan's place tonight. And then you're going to leave there tomorrow morning to get to New Mexico to maybe get on an evening hunt tomorrow on a bull or no? No, I think we're going to do, uh, we're just going to kind of gather our group together on Sunday afternoon and kind of get the game plan going and just get everything ready for uh, Monday morning. And the season might not even open until Monday. I don't, I don't remember the specifics, so... I've just been told where to be and when to be there, and, and that's my plan. You're wearing a Matthews archery hat. Are you? Can I assume that you're archery hunting this bull with the Matthews? I am archery hunting, yes, with the Matthews, a Matthews Triax. So it's the new Triax. It is, yeah. And have you seen some of the pictures that uh, my brothers and our group have been posting with their Triaxes? I've seen a lot of uh, really cool pictures with Triaxes and, and some other equipment as well. But, man, it, it's it's uh, definitely fall. It does not feel like fall because what it's like 90 degrees here, and standing by the grills, it's like 120 degrees. But uh, it's, it's definitely with the smell yeah. that comes out of those grills, though, huh? It's amazing. I, I've been around competitive bar- barbecue a little bit uh, because a former partner of mine, Steve Puppy, guy who got me into TV, he is the state champion Montana barbecue guy. He's out of Hamilton, Montana, owns a restaurant down there called Smoke and Pup Barbecue. Check him out on Facebook. He's actually moving uh, facilities, and he's going to be in Darby, Montana next year. That dude, he ruined it for me. It's the first time I ever had dry rub barbecued ribs. And it's I'll still eat ribs from other places, but there's nothing like it. And my hope is when we leave here, we can walk around a little bit, maybe find some rib samples. Oh, yeah, and the rib samples that you're getting ready to eat right here in the Traeger booth, they're amazing. Last night they did a pork belly and some brisket. And I'm telling you, like, it's just it's the Snake River Farms uh, Wagyu brisket. And I, I, I would challenge somebody to make a better tasting meat off of an outdoor grill. These Traeger grills, it was on the Timberline 850. You, I've never tasted meat like it. It just like melted in my mouth. Have you Have you ever heard of Snake River Farms? I have not, but uh, you know, we have the Duroc Farms in Minnesota, which are also uh, high quality. So I understand what it means to have that caliber of meat. And from my, you know, talking with Steve Puppy, he buys a fair amount of Wagyu and he gets it in. In fact, I, you, you know what? I've actually seen the catalog for Snake River at his house. So yes, now I'm, I am reminded that, small that world that's, ex- that's exactly, yeah, it, it is a small world. And it was interesting because we spoke earlier with Matt, uh, Matt from, where, what's his place? Meat Church. From Meat Church. And he was talking about the secrets of the trade. And it is interesting that there, uh, Steve Puppy actually, to learn how to be a better competitor in barbecue, went to school to become a judge. He figured, well, I'll learn how to be a judge, understand what they're looking for. And, uh, and it, it did absolutely help him. But what I understood, big challenge in barbecue is you can go to a place and, and they'll, they'll do blind submissions and, and you know, the judges will judge everything. And, and one judge will come back and say, hey, your brisket had too much smoke. And, the, and, and, the, and another judge on the same brisket will say, your brisket didn't have enough smoke. You know? So it, it, you know, I think it's a little bit of a luck of the draw. But, man, the quality that these guys produce. Uh, and, and this is really, the, what, the Super Bowl of competitive barbecue in the one of the three meccas of barbecue in the country. Yeah, being I think you're referring to Texas, Memphis, and Kansas City. We're right here in one of the capitals of barbecue, and there's 200 pro teams competing tonight, and then there's 700 open teams competing tomorrow, meaning that if you and I put together a team, 
we could get on one of these Traegers and throw down and, and, and submit some some meats tomorrow, the four, the four cuts of meats, and have a chance to compete against the Chad Wards and the Matt Pittmans and the Benny Kendricks and Doug that I introduced you to from Rogue Cookers. A bunch of these Traeger ambassadors and, and professionals would be going up against Mitch Petrie and Chad Belling with a chance that we could legitimately win if we did it right. So yeah. I'm thinking we just kind of copy somebody and just see if we can get a check. I'm I'm years away from uh, being able to do that. So I'm not going to waste my time or money or their time uh, on that. I'll just go and, and enjoy some of this. But it's really cool, festive atmosphere. You got uh, Traeger. It would, it's also fun to be at the Traeger booth because Traeger, as you know, is a huge supporter of the outdoors. They sponsor a fair amount of our producers on the network. And I love it that this is not just a marketing ploy for them. This is a lifestyle for them. And you know, as you know, this lifestyle ain't for everyone. It's kind of cool. Like, can you imagine sitting around at Traeger saying, okay, how can we take that pork belly and make it that much better? These guys are super creative, very passionate, but it's fun to see they're also passionate about the outdoors and hunting and fishing and cooking wild game uh, on the Traeger. And uh, I, I think it's a big area that has been in need of improvement in our uh, outdoor universe is we, we get the, some of the world's best protein, but it's super lean. And how many times have you heard people say, I don't like venison, it's too dry? Well, it's not the venison, it's the cook. Yeah. So uh, we, we should be on a mission to make cooking wild game uh, you know, more prevalent and more important in our world to make sure that we respect the meat that we harvest. No, and I, and I appreciate you saying that because the, from ducks to geese to, to deer to elk, everything that we're harvesting out there as outdoorsmen and hunters and gatherers and conservationists, you know, we want to be able to be good providers. We want to be able to butcher that meat, process that meat, and then prepare it in a bounty style for our friends and family and have them eat it and say, wow, that was awesome. Traeger has made that easier in a lot of ways because... There's no guesswork with it. You put the dry rub on it, you set the temperature, and you take it off when you're supposed to through the use of a thermometer and checking the internal temperature of that meat, which if you talk to Matt Pittman or Chad Ward or Doug or anybody, the thing that made them a better barbecue pitmaster was the use of a thermometer that they could inject, you know, stick into the meat and check that internal temperature and take the meat off of the grill at the right time, knowing and understanding that that meat was going to continue to cook while it was heated up, whether, you know, however long you let it sit for. And that, they say, is what made them better. And so why wouldn't all of us take that one little piece of advice, tiny piece of advice, go get a thermometer and just check the internal temperature of our meat. And when it's done, when that venison reaches 130 degrees and you take it off, it might get to 133, 135, medium rare, the way deer or duck or whatever wild game you're eating was meant to be eaten, it's that easy. Absolutely. You know, you talk about the uh, sharing of our bounty. And last year we had the pleasure of hunting in Denver with Kim Libertor on her first ever uh, goose hunt. First ever hunt, really, of anything. Maybe she had been on one, but she'd never shot anything. Shot her first goose. Uh, it was really a, a, an emotional experience for her. Very empowering. Had an absolute blast until I think she uh, jacked up her finger trying to reload uh, super fast, I think, for all the geese coming in. But went to the Libertor house, and at, you took... Uh, we took a bunch of uh, goose breasts and turned it into like pulled pulled goose, smoked pulled goose. And uh, you know, goose has a bad rap for uh, you know the only thing I ever used to do with it was put it in sausage. But but you know, there's great recipes and there's great techniques and a lot of information on there to take really about anything and make it high quality and something that your friends and family will enjoy. And is there any better place to 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 grill out than? hunting camp america whether it's 
duck camp, deer camp, fishing camp, whether turkey camp. I mean, yeah. being out there after the day's hunt or after the nap or whatever, and it's about four o'clock in the afternoon, and you might have a cold beer and a campfire is just starting to go and your dogs are waiting for the next day. The anticipation for the next day's hunt's there. And then you still have that camaraderie and that time around the grill that night. Oh, yeah. And then the bounty. I like the campfire. My, my uh, son, Will, my youngest son, he had a, a mountain bike competition in Minnesota a couple weeks ago. And we camped out in southern Minnesota. And, and uh, I was excited for that, but mostly because I have a big cast iron skillet that I hadn't used in a while. So right before I left, I seasoned it up, put a little bacon grease in there. And uh, that next morning, over an open fire, I cooked bacon and eggs for the whole camp. And it was the best bacon and eggs that anyone in the camp had ever experienced. And it was so easy and so fun, and yet nobody else in the camp ever thought about, oh, you could actually cook just over the campfire. I can't imagine having a grill out there. I think we're gonna have to do that. We we do have uh, you know some grilling we do when we go on the road with that. But uh, yeah, check uh, out the new Ranger, the new Ranger by Traeger, or the Tailgater. Easy to throw in the truck. It's still wood fire pellets. You still can use maple or pecan or cherry or the big game. Real trees got a real big tree game. Mix, yeah. And and I'm telling you, it's. It's simple, and you throw on a couple steaks or a couple chicken breasts or a couple duck breasts, whatever it is, in the afternoon out in the woods. It's almost like going to a baseball stadium. I won't eat a hot dog anywhere in the world unless it's in a Major League Baseball stadium. It's just something in my psyche that they taste good, and I don't want to ruin that hot dog experience by trying it at my house. So I save it for the baseball parks. And I, being out in the woods, there's no better place to grill out and cook over an open flame. I'm, I'm not that disciplined. I, I love baseball park hot dogs but I'm pretty sure I had one for dinner in my microwave last night, too. So Really? Yeah, well, a microwave hot dog? See, oh, I just dude, can't I go just, there. Yeah, With a little Dijon mustard. It no kind of and, and, and I do high-quality hot dogs. We do gluten-free for my kid. and uh, So, anyhow, it's uh, food is fun. I'm glad we're here, and I'm glad we're getting to experience this. This is, this is really a carnival atmosphere. Talk to me a little bit about what else is going on in our world as far as this time of year when you can feel the air and I know it doesn't feel like it today but in most parts of the country you're starting to see the change you, you, yeah, you yeah. know the anticipation's there right yeah the, the geese are starting to fly right you start to see those local birds that are kind of not just walking around the park anymore they're starting to go out and venture out and feed and and bring those one you know those newborns out and teach them the ways of being a, a Canada goose and a wild animal and as a hunter we feel it in our ears too it starts to tickle we can feel that barometric pressure dropping mm -hmm. we know the seasons are in times are changing we know that hunting season is oh, upon yeah. us right when, when all my friends are complaining that it feels like summer is over i'm like this is my season i love summers in minnesota but you get into the fall and you know summers in minnesota the trick is to be there for like all three days because it's so short <laughs> but the fall falls in minnesota and in, in the country are amazing and, and you asked about the industry I've been paying very close attention to the falls for the last decade since I've been uh, in the TV space. It seems to me, and maybe you can verify this or not, but uh, you know, the, the fall is starting early and earlier. We have a lot more producers who are going up into Canada doing uh, goat and sheep hunts in Alaska and British Columbia. Alaska's not in Canada. British Columbia and other parts of Canada for goats and sheep, and they're starting earlier. A lot of the uh, uh, archery seasons start earlier. So, yeah, my social media feed starts filling up with uh, with, with hunting photos, and, and it, it's going on. I'm getting them every day, and what's really cool is my phone blows up with text, text photos from all of our producers and their successes. And I just, it, it's one of the favorite parts of my job, and now that I'm thinking about it, uh, fall couldn't come soon enough because I'm ready to start seeing some uh, 
you know, meat on the ground and meat on the grill, and I'm ready to put some on it uh, myself here. Very well said, guys. Chad Belding coming at you again live from Kansas City, the 2018 American Royal Barbecue Championships, pretty much the Super Bowl World Series Masters of the barbecue world. I'm sitting here with the vice president of programming. Again, a good friend of mine, Mitch Petrie, with the Outdoor Sportsman's Network, the Outdoor Channel. Um, if you are thinking about getting in the space, he's the man to contact. He's been on This Life Ain't for Everybody before. And today we're talking about a little bit just softer, more fun-loving subjects. And barbecue is one of them. And being at the American Royal, when Mitch walked up today and started smelling the smells and seeing the culture here at the Traeger booth, we both looked at each other and went, man, this is amazing. And it truly is that Traeger's created this culture. Mitch, look at the lot line is still 50 to 60 people deep to get a Traeger t-shirt. Have you ever walked around an airport or anywhere in the country and seen somebody wearing a barbecue brand t-shirt from like a grill company, any of the other grill makers out there? You don't see that. And these guys are creating a lifestyle and a culture now. And you've, you've talked about it quite a bit today, but... Simply put, Traeger's doing a good job. Oh, yeah, they are. And it's really cool to see all these people in the booth and where they're from because a lot of them are wearing uh, shirts, branded Traeger shirts, but from their own neck of the woods. You know, whether they're from Oklahoma or Texas, there's a guy there. He looks like an American guy, but he's got a shirt on uh, from Okinawa, Japan. So I'm sure big military presence over there. And I would imagine these things travel well over there also. So Traeger's going worldwide right now. They really are. They, they are in South America now. They're in Canada. They're, they're in Europe. They have cooking teams all across the country. They, they have one of the uh, the reps today that you'll meet is from Australia. He reps them down in Australia. So, I mean, they are spreading this love, the barbecue love and lifestyle and culture across the world. And I, it's it, you talked about it, but there needed to be some disruption in the, in the barbecue world because there hasn't been for a long time, in my opinion. And now, all of a sudden, it feels cool to be in my backyard and have my friends going, Man, these Traegers are awesome. We want to be a part of this. They're building a, a pretty cool culture right now. Yeah, you know, one of my missions in being here today, even though I'm just doing a drive-by, is to you know, help them understand, too, the enormity, the enormousness of our audience and the passion for, for cooking and high-quality food, and it, it's such a fantastic marriage. I, I don't know how they found you, and I don't know how they found our industry, but we want to make sure that they get broader access to it because, like I said, it, it's it's really important. I, th I think uh, uh, when you look at the anti-hunting pressure that exists, uh, it really dissipates when you talk about hunting for food because there's it, it, it's it's right. You can't debate that going out and gathering your own protein for your family, there's nothing bad about that. In fact, there's nothing bad about hunting, don't get me wrong, but the people who don't have opinions about hunting or even have negative opinions on hunting, when you talk about, I'm going to hunt an elk in New Mexico with my bow and I'm gonna bring a thousand pounds of uh, protein back for my family and I'm gonna share it with whoever wants it, um, after I pick exactly what I want out of it. It's it's a message that we need to to grow upon. And I, I worked with a guy in a conservationist named Shane Mahoney, and, and they have there's a lot of research behind that. You know, trophy hunting, that was air air brackets, I forgot we're on a podcast. Trophy hunting gets a, a bad rap. It's just like a, a buzzword, you know, it, it just uh, it just it's kind of like fake news now. Um, and really, there's nothing bad about trophy hunting. We could argue and discuss all day long how great it is, but it does tend to alienate and, and, and motivate the anti-hunter. 
Uh, whereas when you start talking about cooking and food and protein and all that, it you, you can't debate it. I mean, even even vegetarians will will agree that quality ingredients are very important. So. Um, Anyway, it's just fun. It's fun to be here and to, to see the passion and, and really hope to explore more before I move on today. When you start talking about hunting and, and gathering and, and providing that meal and that, that bounty for your friends and family, what about the, the, the softness that's gone into the, the butchering part of it? Um, how can we get the message out that we have to get this thing processed and butchered the right way? Anything that you buy in the store or order at a restaurant, yeah. They're doing the same thing okay, to you. Let me to, you know, bring it back to my day job, which is to run programming, control the kind of on-air presentation. We want to be careful in what we show the general public, you know, uh, because we're not ashamed at all of what we do as hunters and that, but you have to be mindful that we don't, you know, we, we don't want to dance around it, but we, we don't generally show, a, we try not to show a lot of blood and show a lot of, uh, you know, we just be respectful. We want to be respectful to our viewer and we want to be respectful to the animal as well. But I saw on, uh, on a different podcast, there was a post, uh, actually a different Instagram account from someone in our industry. They had a, it, it looked like Emerald Lagasse had filleted a beautiful fish, laid the fillet on its side next to the fish, and Instagram blocked that as sensitive content. And I'm like, are you kidding me? That, that's, that's food. And it was, it was, it was not bloody. It, you know, it showed the inside of a fish, but it's like... You know, we are, you know, particularly I think on the left and right coast of this country, people forget where our food comes from. And I think that's the big advantage. It is really our responsibility to help non-hunters understand how, as hunters, we provide for the families and, and really in what and how we do it in an ethical way. You know, the, the other thing I'm, I'm, I'm really an advocate for, um, you know, I have three kids and I do a lot of hunting with my kids and with my wife, Kristen. And, um, you know, we spend a lot of time in camp and we spend a lot of time on the road and we spend a lot of time preparing for all of the hunts that we go on. We shoot our bows together. We talk about it. We, we look online at maps. We talk about where deer come and go, how they eat, when they eat, when they're, you know, when the rut is on. It's like the, the hunt for us is huge. I'm on a, my first ever archery elk hunt and this hunt is five years in the making. And I started my fitness program about a year and a half ago, and I have been shooting my bow religiously every single day. I've been talking to producers about elk hunting. I've, I've done interviews on it. It's like when I, and, and so, you know, I will hopefully have success. And when I do, I want to share that. I want to show it. And people, all they'll think about is, oh, well, he just shot an elk. I was like, man, you know, you, that was a big, that was a small part of it. It's like, that was, that's probably the, the pinnacle of it, you know, and then it becomes preparing of that meat and, you know, packing it out. We're, we're not going to have a helicopter where we're going, you know, we're going to throw quarters over our shoulder and hike out of the mountains, New Mexico to our vehicles where I have coolers ready and waiting to take very good care of this meat. And I'm going to drive it all the way back to Minnesota and feed my family. And I'm going to talk about it for the rest of my life. So you want to, you know, if you, you don't get the whole hunting experience and all you think it's just some guy like me who just wants a grip and grin photo with a big elk, it has very little, if almost nothing, to do with my drive to go out and experience what I'm on my way to do. I know you want me to stick around tonight and go to the Royals game, uh, but I've got, uh, I've got uh, elk a little wappity in my future that i got to get to New Mexico for. Yeah, and you talk about the preparation, the anticipation, the entire 
psyche of a hunter. Nobody understands that through what you call quote unquote grip and grim picture, which I really do like that description of, of a trophy picture um, or a hero shot, some people call them. There's a lot that went into that and the compassion that we have for that animal, the respect that we have for that animal. I've shed tears over animals when you get up to them. My brother shed tears on two hunts this year, on two mule deer hunts and an antelope hunt. Actually, two antelope hunts. Actual crying, grown men crying over their success. Not any disrespect to that animal. That animal gave them a fair chase. And when it all accumulated up, and and on what you're calling that climax, maybe the pinnacle of the of it when that harvest takes place that's just a split second letting that arrow fly or pulling that trigger right yeah i I left minneapolis at five o'clock this morning and drove straight through right but uh it was really and i was by myself because uh uh, a friend who was going to drive with ended up having to take a different route so but i I really enjoyed the quiet time and the windshield time and and it's like wow i'm starting now I, i guess you know i've never run a marathon but, you know, I know when you train for a marathon, you build up, you build up, you build up, and then you taper. My kids are competitive swimmers. They taper, and you get ready. So it's like right now I'm in my taper mode. And so just driving quietly in my truck, nothing but the road ahead of me, knowing what's ahead of me in the next week or so, dude, I was getting emotional. And, and uh, I'm not going to lie. I mean, I didn't, like, start balling or anything, but it's like, man, this, is, this has been really cool. I'm, and I am blessed, and we are blessed to be able to do what we do. I am blessed that my wife... Uh, is an amazingly beautiful and strong woman and says, go to New Mexico, go on your own, have this experience, and, uh, and then you know, and bring it back and share. And then someday, you know, God willing, I would, I would love to bring my kids and have that same experience. I'd love my wife to do it. You know, she's, she's a trooper. She would absolutely do it. To, I think she's actually the first person in her family who killed a turkey with a bow. She's a, she's a killer she's there. Awesome. But the, yeah, you know, but, you know, and she, she, she understands hunting. It's not her first passion like it is mine and yours, but she understands it and she, she participates willingly and has really had some amazing experiences. I took her to her to a, a turkey hunting camp, and it was like her first real uh, hunting camp experience. And and it was funny because most guys I talked to are like, dude, you brought your wife to a hunting camp? I was like, yeah. And it was the most amazing thing. And it's where she uh, experienced like a, a we had a meal. In fact, it was probably one of the most memorable things because I don't think anybody in our camp killed a turkey that that weekend. Uh, but the meal, a guy had just come back from Canada. He had caribou steaks. I brought some venison. No, I brought, I brought some pheasant, something. Or we had, so we had caribou. We had pheasant. We had uh, uh, venison. And I can't remember what else. And w- nobody brought any vegetables. And she's like, very typical. A guy camp, and like, no one had vegetables. So we found some mushrooms, but we, uh, we didn't have any, like, cream or anything, butter to, to saute them in. So we ended up sauteing them in whipped cream. And, uh, and it worked. You know, but we just so we just had it was the joke became we had a you know a meat hors d'oeuvre with a meat main and a meat entree and meat dessert, but it was uh, sounds like heaven to me. Yeah, it was it was really good. Now that I actually think it was before Traeger had even uh, been around, so uh, could be even better today. Well, that's a lot of people think that Traeger's been around 30 years, and with their transition of ownership and their management group and their executive team. They've transitioned their marketing efforts towards our lifestyle, towards the, yeah. the the guys that are out there that want to be with their families in the backyard. And they're trying to show that this culture is alive again. And I want you to do me a favor real quick and take the aspect of hunting and gathering and, and the word that you just used several times in your stories, 
sharing. You share with your friends and family, but as being part of the Outdoor Sportsman's Group and the Outdoor Channel and the Sportsman's Channel, you guys have an initiative called Hunt Fish Feed that I've participated in several times. What about the efforts that outdoorsmen go through through the donation of wild meat? There are places in this country where there we are overran with certain species to where the government, the federal government, the local and state agency government let us go out and maybe harvest more than one deer or two deer or more than one elk, cow or whatever. And that meat isn't going to waste. Talk about feeding the homeless, feeding the hungry, taking care of our fellow Americans through the, the, the harvest and processing of wild game. Yeah, we, you know, we um, probably as, as outdoorsmen and women don't do a great job of getting on the soapbox and, and really and beating our chest when we deserve the attention that we get. So, yes, uh, Hunt Fish Feed is an amazing program that Outdoor Channel, Sportsman Channel, uh, Outdoor Group, uh, we, we promote and we operate and have, we fully staff it. So we go around the country and do you know, 10 to 20 events a year at homeless shelters where we uh, will actively go out and we'll get uh, wild game. Scott Laseth, the sporting chef on our network, goes around and Scott will, uh, will cook. Um, it's it's very well received, and what's really cool is uh, Comcast, uh, Xfinity generally steps in, and uh, uh, they bring in they bring in volunteers. We bring in volunteers, and we'll make a wild game meal and uh, and serve it to to homeless. And it is high quality and is very good. So I think it is uh, amazing program that uh, I hope it continues for a long time, and I hope it, it can expand. And you're right. I, I think it varies from state to state. I think. Uh, you know, on what hunt outdoorsmen can do with with game, or you know, even you know, um, you know, roadkill in that. You know, just recently, I think within the last five years, Montana made it legal where you can actually get a roadkill tag. And and I'm not going to lie, I've picked up roadkill in Minnesota, and people think it's kind of kind of crazy. Uh, but a vehicle in front of me hits two deer, and there's uh, you know absolutely nothing wrong with that deer. It got hit in the hind quarter. And uh, to me, I thought it was more bizarre that somebody would let that protein go to waste than it was for me to pick it up and throw it in the back of my truck, truck with, of course, uh, license and authorization from local law enforcement. So you're cooking roadkill? Um, I'm not going to lie. I have absolutely cooked roadkill, and I've served it to friends and family, and I tell them about 50% of the time. I do that a lot, with my mom especially. She comes over the other night. And we made an awesome, awesome venison dish. I mean, it, I don't. I surprise myself sometimes, and I'm not bragging. It just for some reason was just dead on. And she's coming over. My mom grew up in a hunting family. Before my dad passed away, my dad, we we were nonstop chasing deer and antelope and sheep and elk and chucker birds and upland birds in Nevada. It wasn't until later in life I got into waterfowling so heavily. But I still, to this day, with my mom being in her 60s now, have to trick her to eat deer. And every single time. I get her to do it. She'll finish the entire plate and say, this, this was awesome beef tenderloin or whatever I tell her it is. And then when I go, Mom, that's deer, she'll just be like, no, it's not. Yeah. No, it's not. Yeah. And it's like, it's amazing that their psyche's telling them that wild game can't taste good. Even after you trick them into doing it several times, they're still telling themselves that it's not right. So have, uh, I know we're at the Traeger Grill booth here, but it, uh, uh, have you ever, are you experimenting with sous vide cooking? I have not. Oh. Dude, I'm telling you, um, sous vide is, needs to be part of the mix because the reality is uh, sous vide is essentially a water circulator. You just fill a pot or a cooler or whatever full of water. You put the sous vide machine on the side. It looks like a giant sex toy. It's kind of <laughs> funny. Uh, I, I remember on a podcast I can say that. But, uh, and then you set the temperature and the time, and you put the, you put the meat in a bag or it's vacuum sealed. 
and or you can even I know you hate marinating but you could put something you could put a rub or put anything in there and you could cook it and you can cook it for as long as you want to you set the temp and the meat will rise to the temperature of the water the circulator just keeps the water going and you will never overcook it so if you have like a neck roast for venison which tends to be uh, a tough cut of meat any tough cuts a wild game you can stick it in the circulator and you can bring it up to temperature and hold it there for like 48 hours and it will essentially just cook in its in its own juices and then you pull it out and finish it on the Traeger because when it comes out it doesn't look as appealing as a grilled piece of meat does because it's essentially it looks like it's been boiled but you can finish a roast I've got photos I can say I can show you um, and it, it is you know, it, it is so good. And like if when you've ever seen a really good steak done at a restaurant or on your own tray or whatever, you a lot of times you'll look at you, the, the cut of it, you get it perfectly pink how you want it in the middle, and the ends will be a little bit more well done because that's what was exposed to the heat element or the smoke or whatever it is. On sous vide, you get, you get perfect pink from top to bottom because there's no burnt edge until you take it off and sear it on your grill and make it look absolutely perfect. I'm telling you, when you, when you, I'm, in fact, I'm going to buy you a, a sous vide machine. Are you, you promising? It's a hundred bucks. Yeah, I'll buy you That's a sous vide machine. And yeah, it's actually more than Is than there a worth, difference but, between this machine and something like uh, what Seth McGinn's got going on with can cooker? Is yeah. that kind of the same process with no, the can No, I don't think not? so. I don't know how those how those work, but I think that's more. I don't know if that's steam or what that does. No, this steam. this is completely different. This is, uh, it's actually I think an industry trade secret for high end steak. In like if you go to a steakhouse, what they'll do is they will uh, they'll have industrial circulators, and so they'll put their prime cuts of meat into the circulator, and then when they you order it, they'll pull it out and they'll finish it on the grill, but then they bring it out to you and it's absolutely perfect. And the other thing they do is, apparently you can take it from temperature and then put it in a deep freeze and refreeze it and recook it again. And because it, it, it has, no, has no exposure to outside elements, so I think the risk of bacteria and other things like that go down. Uh, but it, it, it is uh, an amazing thing. And the funny thing is, you know how I found it? Um, Starbucks. If you have coffee at Starbucks, they have sous vide egg bites. And I'm like, what the heck are these sous vide egg bites? Well, they're eggs that are just cooked in the same manner with sous vide. So my wife and I both really like the sous vide egg bites. And uh, she decided she wanted to figure out how to make them herself. So we bought little mason jars, like little uh, small condiment sized mason jars. And she'll go and she'll grab like two dozen eggs and she'll mix up uh, eggs with ham and vegetables and cheese. She'll put them in the uh, in the mason jar, close them tight, pop them in the sous vide machine, cook them for a couple of hours, and then she'll put them in the fridge or put them in the freezer. And in the morning, takes them out, pops them in the microwave uh, for one minute at half power in our microwave, and they come out hot and fresh. And it's like super easy, really good. So I wonder what would happen if we did because I do some of the same things that you're talking about with eggs and bacon and bell peppers and cheeses. And um, one of my favorite things to do is just take like a cupcake tray that you would put make cupcakes or muffins in yeah. and I'll line it with a little tiny bit of whatever you want to do as far as your physical health goes. Yeah. It could be bacon grease, it could be, a little, it could be a little real butter, it could be a little olive oil, whatever you want. I take that bacon and I wrap that inner, the inner circumference of that muffin tin, sure. each tin, and then I pour the eggs and the mixture in there and I put it on a Traeger. And, in, and Chad Ward taught me this recipe for just, and all, all it really is is like an egg, a, a true egg McMuffin with no bread, no carbs, no yeah, starches. Yeah. Not, that I, not that I'm against all of that, but right. it's wrapped in a piece of bacon. And I'm talking like what you're saying is 
it, you could probably do some of the same things in this machine you're talking about on a Traeger as well, which is a really cool th a thing to be able to do with being able to take a deer steak out of your machine and then reverse sear it at 510 degrees or whatever on a Traeger Timberline and then serve it like one of those high-end restaurants would be. I want to see, when you do send me this machine, I'm going to do some some uh, cross-pollinating between the two of them and see if I can create some culinary excellence like you're talking you, about. You should. Cause, you know, we, again, getting back to what we need to do in terms of being evangelists about you know the cooking of our protein, uh, it's, a, it's a great way to make sure that you're doing right by that animal to get it served properly in that. I want to give you a golden nugget here because you know my wife is amazing and I've completely outkicked my coverage. You might not remember, she's a dietitian by trade and she's got her master's in nutrition science. And so she's really uh, into you know, you know, what the right types of fat. She's, ne she's not one to say, don't do this, never do that. Her mantra is all things in moderation. But one of the best things that she's greenlit for me in my cooking is that uh, if you've ever cooked with and heated up olive oil, it gets kind of a rough smell, right? It doesn't, it doesn't heat very well. And she told me some of the science behind it, which I don't remember, but the science behind it, the oils break down and it actually eliminates some of the health benefits of olive oil. So she actually prefers that I cook with bacon grease over olive oil. So God bless her. No way. Oh yeah, and dude, there's nothing about. We actually. She's a dietitian, Mitch. She's a dietitian, but all things in moderation. Yeah, you know, we're not doing it four times a day, and I'm not doing it with a pound of bacon grease every single time I do it. But uh, one of our special treats with uh, my my boy Aaron, my middle guy, who you love, uh, a, a Ron, he loves popcorn. He's a popcorn fanatic. We have one of those little whirly poppers. Oops, excuse me, that you uh, you spin around. And uh, I, whenever I cook bacon, I save the bacon grease, and we will make popcorn with the bacon grease, and it is so good. Uh, it is kind of making me hungry. You have Again, I keep going back to Traeger, but um, I'm going to send you a bag of Traeger popcorn that Traeger taught me the recipe at their corporate offices in Salt Lake City. Yeah. I go in there one night. Eva Shockey's there and, and, all, and, a, and a bunch of the guys from Heartland and just a bunch of the guys that are in your community. And we're doing a, uh, an Ambassador Summit event at their headquarters in Salt Lake City. And, and for appetizers, they have these bacon strips in these really cool little presentation containers. And then besides the bacon strips, the smoked bacon, was this popcorn. And when I tasted this popcorn and the smoky flavor, smoked butter flavor, I'm just like, holy freaking smokes. I'm going yeah. to send. I'm gonna have Chad Ward send you a bag. You don't, so my sister, uh, my sister Sue, she's, I got four older sisters. She owns a popcorn shop in Minnetonka called popcorn and it's like i can't i think her tagline is ridiculously good popcorn and it, it it's perfectly described it is so good and i know they do some i think she has a baked potato version that has it tastes like kind of baked potato but i think it might have like sour cream chives and bacon or something but i'm going to try the traeger one and then see uh, maybe she can uh, help blow it up a little bit maybe make some of her own bacon popcorn i want i, I would like to i want to be one of the taste testers on that because as bad as people tell me that popcorn is for me with carb with corn being high in carbohydrates and i'm like listen you're never ever in your whole existence on this earth going to persuade me that eating popcorn is bad i've been doing it since i was seven yeah. maybe five and there's one thing about popcorn is that it's universal it, it it goes with whatever you want to do i have it in my guide bag my blind bag i have it during the movies i have it during editing processes 
I eat a lot of Jack Link's jerky and a lot of popcorn. And I like to make homemade popcorn like what you're talking your sister does. So please follow through on this. What is it? Sous vide machine? Sous vide. Sous vide. Spell that. Do you S- know? It's French. S-O-U-S and vide. V-I-D-E. Sous vide. You could have given me 100 chances. I wouldn't have got that. Well, you know what? I speak French. And um, it, sous means under and vide means empty. So it's like under empty. But, I, you know, I, I don't know how the how the word came around. I'll have to do a little research on that. But yeah, sous vide. And, um, so je me pas chat belding. What did I just say right there? You, you, you almost said, it, it sounded like you said, Luke, I'm your father. Je me pas. Je me pas. Je me, no, it's je m'appelle. Je m'appelle. Je, je m'appelle. Chad. 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 They would probably say Chad. Chad. Chad belding. Belding. My name is Chad belding. Yeah. Uh, comment allez-vous? Super duper. Super duper. That's French. Super duper. Yeah. <laughs> you do really speak French. I, I do. I lived in France for four years. And the funny thing was, I was not into hunting. I mean, I, I've hunted since I was 13, I, 12, 13. I started, had BB guns growing up, killing Tweety Birds off my deck probably. But um, started hunting small game and pheasant in Minnesota. And then uh, went away to college, did a little bit of upland hunting. Uh, I don't think we did waterfowl. You know John Devney from um, Delta Waterfowl? Yep. So John and I went to college together, and my senior year, he was a junior. He was uh, on my floor. I was a, I, I was a um, resident assistant. And John was crazy about duck hunting all the way back then. So but my wife and I got married. We moved overseas, and I just kind of didn't do any hunting over there. I really didn't even do any fishing over there until we came back like five years later, and uh, we moved to Australia for a year there. But, yeah, so I worked for... Renault trucks. Remember Renault cars, the crappy cars in America? Yep. I worked for the trucking division as a contractor doing a software project in the basement of uh, the trucking company in Lyon, France, where, you know, where there's eight French guys and you know, none of them spoke any English and they bathed once a month whether they needed it or not and they all chain smoked and wore the same clothes every single <laughs> Sounds day. Sounds like heaven, not. And, um, and uh, yeah, but they taught me French, you know. Uh, interesting, interesting place. Uh, but hunting, you talk about that. That's a whole nother podcast. If you want to talk about international hunting and you talk about uh, issues about public lands and keeping hunting accessible for this country, I've seen it firsthand over there. The reason I didn't experience that is because very few people participate and it's because there's not, it's not, there's, it's not part of the culture. It's not part of something where, hey, I, just, I feel like I'm going to wake up and I'm going to go uh, uh, scout and shoot my own deer. It's more like, oh, I'm going to go to the grounds of a castle and I'm going to hunt roe deer or driven boar. And uh, it's not accessible to everybody. So we've got to make sure we keep it accessible here in America. And there is a huge campaign and initiative with a lot of your producers, a lot of hunting companies and brands across the country on keeping public lands public. I'm wearing a shirt right now from Mountain Ops. It's all access, kind of a backstage pass design with you know public lands, all access. And it's a big deal out where I live in the West United States for high country mule deer hunter, sheep hunters, antelope hunters, guys that really get in those mountains and chase those animals. There's, there's so much public property in Nevada, Montana, Wyoming, Utah, Idaho, Oregon, Washington. And we got to keep yeah. it that way because if we lose that and it goes to a money game to where... A, a normal father can't take his son or daughter or his wife or girlfriend out hunting on public property. We're, we're, we're discounting our entire existence as a hunter-gatherer. So I, I completely agree, Mitch Petrie, that the Keep Public Lands Public initiative in our industry and in our space is very, very important. 
And I think that being able to cross-pollinate, like you talked about just a little bit just now, with a brand like Traeger, think about the education process that goes through a lot of these guys that are on Team Traeger that might not necessarily live their lives like we do as a believer and a, and a true loyal member of the outdoor community when it comes to hunting and fishing. Traeger has the ability and the voice, Mitch, to help us show guys and their families that, hey, now that you've mastered this barbecue, how about putting meat on that barbecue or that Traeger grill that you actually went out and took the time to learn how to call in an elk or a duck or build a blind or drive a boat to go to a place where you could find game and, and harvest that game to provide that protein-enriched meal for your friends and family. I think that we have something right in front of us sitting with the company and other companies like Traeger to do this with us. Absolutely. I'm, I'm fired up. I'm not going to lie. No pun intended. I'm fired up to go and uh, you know, meet some more people from Traeger and say, what, what can we do? I mean, we are in this together. They're a brand. They're growing their business. They're interested in, in selling grills. We're interested in helping hunters and outdoorsmen and women uh, you know, do a better job of cooking and enjoying their bounty and sharing it with friends and family. So let's uh, let's make it happen. And I think that with you being here and stopping by and seeing the culture, it's 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 eye-opening. And I'm not saying that you didn't know about it or that you haven't been around it. I'm just saying that at this event, if you came into this space and saw the cross-pollinating, I keep using that word because that's what we're doing, there's a lot of hunters in this booth sure. right now. Yeah, this, I, you know, it was no... Uh, secret that Traeger supported our industry. Obviously, I knew that. But the reality was I've experienced Traeger mostly through you and our producers who are sponsored by Traeger. For me, what was new here was to come here and see the corporate culture and, and hear them talking about what we have going on in our world and how important it is to them. It's, it's really cool. And I think that we can, there's a, the sky's the limit with them. You hear that throwing around. I'm not saying it in a loose matter. The sky is the limit with a company like Traeger because they and I'm not saying this because they are our partner. I have not met another brand in our space, and not many in other spaces. I know there's bigger Fortune 500 companies out there, but this company and what they've done with their new management group, they're up, they've got 160 employees or something. Their marketing initiatives are the best I've ever seen in any space I've personally been involved in in the entire outdoor world. From Tyler to Denny to Omar to, to every single person in, in, in their corporate office, Chad Ward and all their ambassadors and influencers, I haven't seen this energy in anything in a yeah. long time. I think this could be a great example for our network um, of a, a non-endemic advertiser understanding the value of the audiences that we reach and, and attacking it creatively, using their own vision, their own skills, but really just tapping into our producers and tapping into this market through those producers. Because think about it, we're, you know, um, we have a hard time attracting some of these non-endemics because we're relatively small in terms of the market that we serve. But every hunter uh, has a barbecue grill and every hunter, you know, shaves and drives a truck. And it's like, we, we need to be out there telling more people about the value of our audience. And so it's really cool. Traeger should be a success story. Um, you know, we come back five years from now, and they, hopefully there'll be a great testimony about how they rode our industry to a, you know, take their company to a new level. I love hearing it, and I think that when you when you speak, Mitch, you you have a lot of passion, and not just passion, you have a lot of intelligence when you talk about this space. And I think that, and I'm not, you're my buddy, and I know that we go back and forth 
comically and we love to rib, but in, in reality, I couldn't think of a better person representing the Outdoor Sportsman's Group, the Outdoor Channel, the Sportsman's Channel, the World Fishing Network, and everything that you do with your publications, your magazines, the way you talk, the, and especially your commitment to excellence, your, your ability to commit your personal time and space by letting us come to your house, letting us be in your boat, letting us experience Minnesota the way it needs to be experienced, bringing me to Denver Nuggets games, all of the things that you do for your producers show that you are dedicated and committed to getting our voices out there so we not only can show people how awesome and intriguing the outdoors is but how beneficial it is to our psyche how therapeutic it is to us and that's all i'm trying to say i'm not kissing your butt like you're sitting over there thinking i'm doing i don't want you to call jim libertory after this and go man you need to listen to this podcast because i need a raise i'm just simply saying that you're a very good advocate and representation of our space and more people need to understand what your voice is saying and you do a very good job of getting the word out there that's all i'm trying to say there's there's actually a lot of guys like me in our company you know uh mike carney uh a bunch of others they you know we live this lifestyle and um and we love every minute of it so i i think uh we have other opportunities to uh we we do events across the country we have magazines we have websites uh we need to i think figure out a way to work closer with Traeger to bring this type of experience to some of these other events that we're doing we're doing some film festivals we're at the 50th anniversary of fly fishing magazine uh you know and a lot of times those fly fishing guys they don't like to uh they don't like to eat their trout but you know what i would imagine we could we could grill a few right so okay i'm gonna end this like this you have about 10 hours left in your voyage to clear your mind and, and get ready for some of the most adrenaline-filled excitement than a human being. I know you could jump out of an airplane, and I know Travis Pastrana can go 150, but when a 300 or 320-inch six-point starts coming to your cow collar, you're around his, wa- around his wallow, and you start to see the size and the, and the enormous um, presence and power of a Rocky Mountain elk in the state of New Mexico, there's nothing like it. I've been on archery elk hunts, and when you hear that bugle and you smell those smells of of that urine and that rut going on, and what the, I mean, there's nothing like it except a big flock of mallard ducks doing it perfect into your decoys. Yeah, just back flapping and maple leaving. Those Rocky Mountain elk have the ability to light you up and make every hair on your neck stand up. I know you I don't know. have any on your head like me, no. but on our neck we have hair, and, my and back. they will they and your back, but they will stand up. So tell me. What do you want? Paint me the picture real quick. Is it going to be an eight-yard shot, a 30-yard shot? Is it going to be he's going to charge in and you're going to have to stop him? In, and you're going to have a, a, an outfitter behind you doing the calling? Yeah. Is it going to be textbook? Are you just are, are, you got to be anticipating something so, awesome right now. You know, I'm a turkey hunter, very passionate turkey hunter, and I get so excited when I get a turkey to like 20 yards and he's spitting and drumming and you can feel it. And so I've I've talk to people about that compared to what having a bugling bull elk within 20 yards I, I seriously don't know if I'll be able to you know draw back main, my, maintain my bodily fluids inside you know so my my you know, but I've watched a ton I've talked to a lot of people and uh, you know some of the folks I've seen hunt you know a lot of times you know drawing is tough and, and drawing back you know depending on the cover in that so I've envisioned you know having an elk come really close and where we're hunting, I think there's good population. So uh, I'm anticipating more than one encounter. So my biggest fear and what I've prepared for is really just making an ethical and perfect shot, right? I just want to make sure. So I, I'm doing four-inch groups 
out to 60 yards. I'm hoping that I get a 20 yard or less shot. I'm, 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 I'm doing two inch groups at 30, 40 yards. So, but that's not with a bull elk bugling in front of me. So I understand the conditions are very different, but I've seen a lot where uh, an elk will come in and they might be, you know, you know, they're curious or whatever, and maybe they smell something or something's not right. And, and they'll turn and they'll blow out and the guide will, will do some cow calls and they'll stop. So in my mind's eye, I've, I've seen myself when I get into a position and we hear a bull coming, ranging, knowing the distances of known objects around me, so that if I get if I get in and I, I hopefully get a you know a 10 to 20 yard shot, if that bull peels back and turns, I'm anticipating and stopping. And if he stops within 40 yards and gives me a good broadside shot, that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking 40 yards or less because I, I just don't need to. I, I, I don't, I've, I've shot turkeys at 50, 60 yards, maybe, and it's just, it's just different. Nothing, there's yeah, nothing not, better than getting them tight. Yeah, there, and, there's, and there's nothing wrong with shooting into 50, 60 yards with my equipment. Like I said, I have confidence in it, but um, I just think it's probably a slightly lower percentage. You know, I think at 60 yards, an elk can jump the string. At 20 yards, by the time they hear my string, that arrow's already passed through them. So, uh, yeah, my goal is, is uh, probably within 20 yards, and my goal is to not soil myself. And just you know, make make a good shot. Avoid the shoulder. Uh, go right behind the shoulder, and uh, you know, hopefully, you know, really, really have a real quick kill, and uh, and and then let the real work begin. It's a five-day hunt, and if a 300 presents an ethical shot on day one, do you draw back and let it go, or are you waiting for a 350? I'm not saying that yeah. you're a trophy hunter, but when you're in New Mexico and there's opportunity that exists. To get a trophy bull plus those back straps and tenderloins and roasts and shoulders, will you shoot a 300 on day one? I would say I am not. I don't have a size goal. I've looked at some pictures and that I'm not trying to shoot a 350 inch bull for my first animal. I think I, if I shot a cow, I would be proud of it. But I don't have a cow tag, so. But you know, it, it, would I shoot a 300 on the first day? Probably not. If I had a good 300 inch encounter, that's something I would bring home, even if I left empty-handed. Uh, I wouldn't regret not killing a 300-inch bull on the first day if I didn't get one. But, you know, from what I understand, I guess we'll just, you know, we'll, we'll play it by ear. I, you know, it's my first ever archery elk hunt. So I'm going to go through day one. And if a nice animal, I, I tell you what, I, you know, I've shot a lot of deer. And what's really cool is I, you build like a connection with the animal. I saw a deer in South Dakota. He crossed, uh, it's a Milk River, I think we were on. Uh, and he came up on shore, and you just you look at him, and he wasn't the biggest deer. I actually passed on a bigger one the day before, and it wasn't the last day. But that deer, there was just something about it. He was old. He had like the Roman nose, and I just felt that connection. So you know what? You, you know who knows? Do I want to shoot the first bull elk that runs in? And, and you know, yeah, pro- probably not. I think I want to. I want to experience that. Because like it. I said, yeah, it. it, it I, I am my my stuck. I took my youngest to Texas last year, and he missed a shot on like a 135 inch 10 point. It would have been his first year. Nice deer. No, not not a giant, but it would have been a really really nice first deer. And it, it was actually. I didn't tell him this, but it was actually good that he didn't have that instant gratification. He. He had he failed. He shot. He had a clean miss, and and we didn't get another shot at a good deer the rest of the week. And he even didn't get a good shot at like a fork or something just to just to get it done. So, uh, if I drive home empty-handed, dude, I will still be grinning the whole way home because it's 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 not just about that kill. I mean, I, I hope I have success, 
uh, I tell you what, you know, the only reason I will shoot a 350-inch bull is if that's the bull that comes in. I'm not going to wait and hold it out. If, if I get a mature bull and if the guys that I'm with tell me that's, that's the right bull, dude, I'm, I will be laser-focused on that small target, not on his, not on his headgear, and uh, hopefully make a great shot. And then after that, you're going to have your travel agent get with me to get my TSE pre-check number to book me a round-trip ticket to the twin cities of Minneapolis, St. Paul, to eat the backstraps and tenderloins. And you'll put it on the credit card because we're going to make a, a Facebook live event for the Outdoor <laughs> yeah. Sportsman's Group and Outdoor Channel. Right, Mitchie? Absolutely. Yeah, I want the tenderloins. Really? I want, well, you know. How, how big are those? I saw backstraps. Have you ever you seen the backstrap on an elk? Backstraps are longer than my leg, right? I mean, yes. They're, yeah, they're, Please, please do not mess those up. You, those are those are a treasure. I will I will be with trained professionals. I will. I, 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 my buddy Steve Puppy tells me uh, I need a little work on the on my on the finesse on my knife skills. So I think I might leave it to the pros. I'm happy to cut into it, and dude, I will get my hands dirty. And I'm I'm actually hopeful that we get one. Uh, uh, and in fact, even if I don't get one, our camp we're going to have some elk on the ground. I'm happy to throw uh, a quarter on my shoulder and carry it out. I'm looking forward like to that. that. I'm looking like forward that. to those You've body You've been working out, man. You're I'm, strong. I'm looking forward to those body aches the next day from, yeah. from doing that. I actually, I bought a new pair of boots going into this as well. I know you're not supposed to do that, but I, I did it. I've had them for over a month, and I've gotten a lot of funny looks walking around Plymouth, Minnesota wearing my hunting boots, but I've, I've worn, worn, a, worn them a ton, and... Uh, I'm excited. They're they're great great boots, and uh, they're going to get me through the hills there, and hopefully help me carry out some protein. Well, I wish you luck. Thank you very much for stopping by Kansas City for the 2018 American Royal Barbecue Championships. Thank you for doing a Facebook Live today on the Outdoor Channel Facebook page My for Traeger and the Traeger Nation, the Traeger culture. Thank you, Traeger, for having us. This life ain't for everybody. Mitch Petrie, Vice President of Programming for the Outdoor Sportsman's Group, the Outdoor Channel, Sportsman's Channel. If you have questions about this space, if you have ideology that you want to make a living in the outdoor TV world, Mitch, is it a good idea for anybody to contact you? And can they? Are you accessible to Joe Schmo in Alabama, the city of Birmingham, that wants to start a quail hunting show about the southern part of the United States, can they contact you personally? Absolutely. You know, I will screen your calls every day, but I'll take theirs. <laughs> uh, maybe maybe an email There's is a good the way Mitch to start. There's the that I know. Send me an email, send me an email mptree, P-E-T-R-I-E, at outdoorchannel.com. And if I don't get back to you personally, I got a good team that uh, is behind me that will also help answer questions. So. He's a great voice for our space, for our industry, for our lifestyle, for the culture of the outdoorsman, the conservationist, the gatherer, the hunter, the fisherman. Guys, get out there. Be a provider for your friends, your family. Teach your kids the ways of the mountains, the woods, the marshes, the outdoors. I'm Chad Belding. This Life Ain't For Everybody podcast. We're blessed to be partnered with the Outdoor Sportsman's Group and the Outdoor Channel. Season 10 of The Foul Life is airing right now. Brand new episode starting next week straight from Oklahoma with Blue Moore and the fellas and the crew down there at Flatline Outfitters. And for our brand new line of merchandise, check out thefoullife.com. Uh, support us guys get that foul life logo and that lifestyle out there we are the american hunter we're proud of it and we're proud to have our content on the outdoor channel on the mo tv app they support us they're a great voice for what we are doing as a lifestyle and a community out here in the great united states of america mitch petrie any final words before i send you on your way to harvest that wapiti aka rocky mountain elk 
in New Mexico. Thanks for having me. Let's go consume some barbecue ribs before we do that. Traeger Nation, here we come. Shad Belding, Mitch Petrie, Clay Belding, Jordan Sargent, Team Foul Life, Team Banded. Thank you guys. This life ain't for everybody. Coming up in the next couple weeks, we got more great guests. Thank you for the support. Peace out.